Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Dog and Duck Show. The dogs and the ducks are flying high, both ranked in the top 10 heading into the beginning of Pac-12 play. Mark, this is the last first opener of Pac-12 football that we're ever going to see. And uh, you're the historian, you're the author. How are you feeling? And what is the significance of all this? Well, uh, Warren, first of all, I'm feeling fantastic, incredibly excited about the the dawn of uh, the Pac-12 conference in all of its glory. Uh, it's historic, Warren. I mean, we're talking about entering conference play with eight teams who are undefeated, eight teams that are ranked in the AP top 25 that has never happened before in conference history until the last two weeks. Top 22. Top 22. So yeah, Yeah. even even, not even needing to like sneak in there at number 25. So uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's simply, that's never happened before. Uh, The PAC 12 has been by far the most impressive conference, you know, top to bottom. Um, and so maybe not all the way to the bottom. Stanford lost to Sacramento State. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's it's a great, great season for the Pac-12 so far. And now we're into conference play. And Warren, it gets real right off the bat. We've got obviously Colorado coming into Oregon is the game that I'm most excited about. But you've also got UCLA going to Utah, mm-hmm. and both of those teams starting a true freshman quarterback. It looks like in that game, you've got uh, the Beavers going up and playing their Pac-2 rivals, the Washington State Cougars, in a in a really important game for those two schools. So we're talking about you oh, know yeah. these eight, eight teams coming in with like some sort of aspirations of competing for a conference title, and by the end of the day, Saturday three of those teams are going to feel like their conference title hopes are on life support just by virtue of having taken a loss in the first game of conference play. And it's only going to intensify from there. If you play out the schedule, I mean, each week seems to have one Mm -hmm. or or three of these just incredible matchups. So I'm I'm just so excited for it. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Well, you're absolutely right. And, you know, when you talk about eight teams out of 12, in the top 22 what that means is that there's going to be some battle royales throughout this year and not everybody can stay there there's there's no way that with this much talent that there's going to be eight teams sitting in the top 22 at the end of the year so what that means is that we're either going to see a year where some truly dominant teams arise uh, amidst a very, very competitive Pac-12 or the conference does what the conference has done uh, over the years and it eats itself alive where at the end of the year, even the top teams have, you know, amassed two, three losses within their own conference. So I think this is a really interesting week to, to look at, like you said, you know, you've got an undefeated Colorado coming into play, uh, an undefeated Oregon. Both are ranked. You've got an undefeated Washington State that I think their hopes right now are through the roof 
because of the way that Cam Ward has performed and the defense has continued to improve. And then Oregon State, they believe. Right. I mean, they they've got they've they've got DJU, and that's the missing piece in their mind. Right. So, you know, like you said, someone's going to come home undefeated. The, the only teams that I would say, like, I would say the one team that could maybe potentially sustain a loss better than anyone else is Utah, because. You know, you got to believe that Cam Rising has got to be pretty close to coming back. They lose an early season game to UCLA with a true freshman quarterback. Yeah. But, you know, it's Kyle Whittingham. You know, he's the 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 captain of the ship. They get their they get their general back and you know, they go on a roll end of season. But some big, big, big games this weekend, and we're here to cover it. We are the Dog and Duck Show. So, Mark, let's get into it. And, man, uh, we're looking ahead to some fireworks. But before we do, let's look back at what was some pretty explosive football over the weekend, particularly with the Washington Huskies uh, firing on all cylinders, going into East Lansing to take down the – distracted maybe to put it yeah. uh michigan state spartans certainly they looked shell-shocked from the moment that the huskies drove down and scored on the first series yeah I, so this was interesting to me warren because we've seen examples as recently as you know that game against the sun devils last year but we've seen it in other instances usc under ed orgeron comes to mind where Uh, A program appoints an interim coach and it kind of gives them a jolt of life. Uh, But I think that that usually comes when a program has been losing consistently. They, they kind of get the old regime out. They elevate an energetic assistant coach and that gives the team a new bounce and a new life and new energy. Michigan state I was not playing with that set of cards. They had an entrenched coach with a long-term contract who had a roster that had committed to play for him. They were off to a two and O start to their season. uh, And I think hoping to kind of turn things around after a pretty disappointing year last year. And so then to have your coach fired, not for like on field things, you know, there's a difference of Mm -hmm. firing this coach because you're losing games and now we're replacing him with somebody else. You can see how that might give a team a boost. In this case, he's fired for some off-field scandal. And like you said, the the players just kind of come out and shell-shocked. I, I think it's more similar to like how we've what we've seen from Northwestern this year, who had Pat Fitzgerald get fired in the offseason, and they have been a train wreck this year. You know, yeah. Yeah. they just, just have been totally non-competitive. And, yeah, and and like you said, I mean, you know, there were certainly some shades of last year's Arizona State game where, you know, if you remember the the defensive backfield was decimated for the Washington Huskies. They had guys running out there without a name on the back of their jersey. Uh, and and before the game, word starts getting out. Devon Banks, who was looking like he was our you know second best defensive back out for the season 
Mateo yeah. Mele, our center out for the season. We're hearing that Asa Turner is not going to be back starting safety. Cam Fab, Asa Turner's backup is out for this game. And certainly among Husky faithful, there was a sense of, uh-oh, this you know feels a little bit too familiar. On the road, yeah. grass field, uh, replaced coach. The team's going to galvanize. We're going to get exposed. But the Huskies were having none of it. Penix, Polk, Odunze, McMillan come out with guns blazing. And uh, by the end of the first half, it was 35 to zero. Uh, the, the, the Huskies had stepped on the Spartans' throat. My brother-in-law, who is a Spartan alumni, sends a screenshot of the score at halftime with some sad sack comment underneath. And uh, it was over. And I mean, the, the student section was gone by the beginning of the third quarter. Uh, and so the Huskies scored a couple more field goals, uh, took their foot off the gas, and the rest was history. But boy, even though this game was on the Peacock network and uh, very difficult to 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 watch on on television unless you were really trying like like I was and like Husky Faithful was, everybody was talking about Michael Penix by the end of the day on Saturday. Just, I mean, an incredible performance. I th- I think that uh, I said this to you via text. You did not appreciate this, but I said that the Huskies look like the best team in the country, and you told me to pump the brakes. And now this is not me. This is not me blowing smoke. This is me just looking like objectively at all of the other top teams in the first three weeks had one game where they just kind of didn't seem to be all there. You know, Florida State almost lost to Boston College. Georgia fell behind at the half against South Carolina. Texas was tied at the half against Wyoming. Uh, Michigan was kind of sleepwalking through their game against Bowling Green. Like, And and that that sort of thing happens. Or you have a team like, like Oregon who had a real fight with Texas Tech and, you know, survived by the skin of their teeth. Like, now, USC hasn't really been challenged, but USC has not played anybody of note Mm -hmm. Uh, Washington on the other hand has played Mount a mountain West school in Boise state. That is generally one of the top two or three teams in Mm -hmm. that league and playing Michigan state, a a big 10 team that granted is coming off of, of a tough season, but is generally like a bowl eligible big 10 team. Yeah. And, and I mean, Mark, I mean, I don't think anybody at the end of the season is going to look back and say, oh, Michigan State was a really good team. Yeah. But going into the game on Saturday, their quarterback, Noah Kim, had won the offensive player of the week for the Big 12, uh, or excuse me, the Big 10 the previous week. And their running back, Noah Carter, was the second leading runner in the Big 10. So it wasn't like they were total garbage like they yeah. they you know they were they were doing well against the competition that they had played against yeah. so there was no reason to think that they would crumple like they did uh, against the huskies well i mean uh our guy tony castricone uh did i pronounce that right tony castricone no no e at oh, the end you don't do the e yeah okay 
So Tony Castricone. Castricone. Uh, our 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 listeners should give him a follow on Twitter, but if they're Husky, yeah. if they're Duck fans, they may not want to. But um, they should give him a follow on Twitter because he had a lot of great stats about yeah. just the absurd statistical output of the Huskies' offense. And the one that caught my mind, Warren, which I'm sure you were going to get to, but I'll tee you up for it, is this is the second road true road game in a row in which the Huskies have totaled over 700 yards of offense. And the only other team to do that in the last, you know, year since the beginning of last season in a road, uh, in a road environment against a, uh, a power five team is Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin's Ole Miss did it mm. to Arkansas. Um, that's, that's like in the last two and a half seasons now that we're going on. So over 700 yards in the Apple Cup in that domination of the Cougars at the end of last season. Their next true road game was this game in East Lansing where they, what was it, 713 yards of offense. Like, that's crazy, Warren, to have back-to-back road games against decent teams where you're putting up 700 yards of offense. That That is insane. It's more than any team has ever put up against Michigan State. It's the second most that the Huskies have ever put up in a game. The the number one was the Corey Dillon San Jose State game where he ran yeah. for over 200 yards in the first quarter. But uh, this is something totally different. And, uh, you know, deservedly so, Michael Penix Jr. won the uh, Walter Camp National Player of the Week honor. Uh, joining a pretty select group of five Huskies who have won that award since 2009. Uh, and so congratulations to him. Uh, Odunzi, Polk, and Jalen McMillan, those three guys are on pace to each rec- have over 1,200 receiving yards at the end of the season. And uh, how about my guy, our local Mount Sai High School walk on Jack Westover. He uh, had three touchdown receptions on Saturday and leads the Huskies in touchdown receptions. So you think about those three Bolitnikoff caliber receivers and the leading touchdown receiver right now on the team is a former walk on tight end named Jack Westover, who is literally a Jack of all trades he 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 blocks he he runs he's a you know a, a fullback a tight end and uh certainly a weapon that you know Michael Penix and Ryan Grubb have really unlocked and are using as a great antidote for any team that wants to you know drop back and protect you know the deep ball and so it's it's a it's a beautiful thing to see and uh, you know our our friend uh, JJ Vansel texted me earlier today, you know, and he said, we truly are living in a special time with a transcendent player like yeah. Michael Penix Jr. And I agree, but I think it's more than that. I think it's, you know, we have that transcendent player in, in Penix, but this is the best receiving trio we've ever had. Ryan Grubb is the best offensive coordinator who has ever called plays at the University of Washington. And we've got an offensive line that's top tier, to say the least, in terms of 
Husky history, tight ends that are top tier. The jury is still out on the running backs, but this past Saturday, Dylan Johnson looked explosive with 71 yards on eight rushes. Tybo Rogers came in in the second half. Uh, he looked like the best runner that we've got on this roster with uh, over 75 yards on 15 rushes and cleanup duty. And Will Nixon caught a touchdown pass that got turned back or, or overturned because of a ticky tack penalty on Jalen McMillan. But if those guys can be above average, you know, if, if they can, yeah. if they can put up 150 rushing yards per game, there's no way any team's going to be able to slow this, this Husky offense down. So then the question is, can this defense do what they need to do? And so far the early returns mark are, this is a vastly improved Husky defense. Jabbar Muhammad is by far a major upgrade over Jordan Perryman last year. And uh, Thaddeus Dixon, Elijah Jackson, unfortunately, De Devon Banks is out for the season. Uh, but those guys have shown dramatic improvement. Uh, ZTF came back on Saturday after being out the previous week. He puts up two sacks. Looks like the ZTF of 2020, where it seemed like every time he touched the ball, he forced a strip sack or a, a fumble. And uh, Braylon Trice really hasn't even gotten going yet. And so uh, I think we still haven't seen them tested against a quality passing offense. Boise State's passing offense was nothing to, to speak of. Neither was uh, Tulsa. And I don't know what to make out of Noah Kim and Michigan State, but yeah. those guys did not look like they belonged on the same field. California won't really tell us a lot in terms of their offense against our defense. Uh, so we may not really know what that passing defense looks like until we face Arizona or even more so Oregon. But uh, like I said, early returns, this is as encouraging as you could get in terms of what you, what you would want to see from the Husky defense. Yeah, just to, to kind of go back to your your point about the offense real quick, because I I mean I think what the defense is doing is a big story. I want to I want to cover that, but the you mentioned kind of the recognition of like oh we're rooting for a transcendent player, and then you caught yourself and it was like no, it's actually it's a group of players, you know, that are all kind of together at the same time, and and this unbelievable receiving core and it. It actually made me think that because um, I've been in conversation with multiple Husky fans and they have referenced to me like basically saying, like, is this what it felt like when you were rooting for the Chip Kelly Oregon Ducks? Like in terms of like you're you turn on this offense and you're just kind of in awe game after game of what it can do. And I was thinking mm -hmm. of it's it's the reverse of that in that those Duck teams ran the ball. And this Husky team throws the ball. And so, but it was like, I, I was looking back at like the 2011 Ducks where they had LaMichael James had over 2,000 yards of total offense. Kenyon Barner and DeAnthony Thomas both had over 1,000 yards. So they had all three of those guys in the same backfield. And then they had this handful of receivers that were just kind of 
you know, 400 yards in a season mm-hmm. or something like that, you know? Uh, but by committee, they pieced it together. And I think, I feel like that's what the Huskies need out of their running backs. They don't mm-hmm. need one of those guys to step forward and be a thousand yard rusher. They just need three different guys that they can hand the ball to that are going to average five yards a carry that are going to make the first person miss on occasion and, and surge ahead and fall forward uh, because the the offensive line and the quarterback and the receiving positions are so, so good that that's, I mean, that's just, that says it all. So um, it really is a historically good offense that I, I mean, if I were to make the list of the offenses that have kind of captivated me on this level, it would be a very, very short list. And so, um, but that's, we knew all that, right, Warren? We knew coming into yeah. the year that it was going to be a great quarterback and a great receiving core. I think it's the defense, especially in this Michigan State game, that made me go, okay, the ceiling for this Washington team might be different than I was expecting coming into the year. Mm-hmm. Where I came into the year thinking the defense could still be exploited in some different ways. All of those issues that they had last year couldn't have just been fixed. Uh, but the defenses looked really good, Warren. They yeah. looked really good. Yeah, and and you know, you mentioned the running game, and it just reminded me of a conversation we had at the end of last season, because really, like if you talk to most Husky fans last year, middle of the season, they would have said, eh, Wayne Talapapa, okay. Cam Davis, okay. But by the end of the season, Wayne Talapapa ran for 411 yards and five touchdowns on 48 carries for an average of 8.6 yards per carry in his final four games. And that that put him on a pace for, you know, uh, over a 1,200-yard rushing season. He almost finished – he finished with over 1,000 combined yards last year. And I just say that to say that um, you know, it it didn't really seem like the running game was going to amount to anything at the beginning of the season. But I think that, you know, what the way I would describe it is that that the grub philosophy is you pass to set up the run. And I think that there's a sense in which they do that during a game, but in many ways, I think that they're doing that for the whole season and so i would not be surprised as as the season goes on defensive coordinators for opposing pac-12 teams say we've got to drop men back we've got to stop these this explosive uh, passing offense and all of a sudden we start seeing dylan johnson running for 100 yards you know will nixon finishing with 90 yards combined running and receiving you know Tybo Rogers is getting in there and getting 50 or 60 yards per game and kind of these third quarter gashes you know and so uh I and and you know what was interesting last year was how many you know touchdowns Cam Davis and Wayne Talapapa scored from within the five yard line where they were kind of like the finishers they were the the hammer that nailed it in. So 
it is an interesting dynamic to see what will happen with that over the course of the season. Will the Huskies just, you know, throw for like 6,000 yards this year and forget the run altogether? Or will we see the pendulum swing back as teams adjust over the course of the season, the weather changes, all that kind of good stuff. So it's, it's a fun thing to talk about. And like you said, if you're a Husky fan, you, you gotta be loving this. You gotta cherish it. You gotta enjoy it because who knows how much longer we'll get to have this kind of a a ride, but certainly uh, the three games into the season, Michael Penix's decision to return Odunze McMillan, uh, you know, the offensive line, all those guys, their willingness to 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 come back. Uh, they have got to be so happy with the decision that they've made thus far into the season. Yeah, I mean, I started by saying they look like the best team in the country, and all of that is to say that they've passed every test thus far. You could not be more pleased through three games than how this team has played. Uh, still plenty of, of tests to come. They certainly haven't played anywhere close to the best teams on their schedule yet. Uh, but I think there's, I think there's a lot of reason for optimism. If you're a, a Husky fan and if I'm honest as a duck fan, there's, there's reason for apprehension, like mm. that it's, you know, I won't tell you the text that I sent to my fellow duck friends as we're watching the score of that Michigan state game increase, but it was, you know, along the lines of like, this is not, not what we want to see out of our <laughs> well so let's talk a little bit about the ducks because obviously uh they put up a you know a, a a bunch of points against an overmatched Hawaii Rainbow Warrior squad on Saturday 55 to 10. Uh Mark I, I picked up a few of the highlights it it felt like it was Bo being Bo it was Franklin being Franklin, it was Bucky being Bucky. Was there anything, you know, compelling or or you know, story worthy in terms of what the Ducks did on Saturday? Well, one thing that I think is compelling that you may not know, Warren, is that they snapped a three-game losing streak that they had going on uh against Hawaii. So this was this was, you know, Hawaii has had Oregon's number going back uh I think 1988 uh, was when that three-game losing streak started. So that's uh, crazy. I had no idea. Yeah, I, I think it was like 80, 90, and 94, or something like that. So it was all in kind of that late Rich Bricks era. But one of those years, they they uh, 1994 was the year Oregon reached the Rose Bowl, and that year started with a 20-point loss to Hawaii. So. Uh, mm. So yeah, Hawaii did have Oregon's number way back in the day. They haven't played for 30 years, but uh obviously not much to take from that in terms of this. I I think the two storylines if you're looking for on on the positive side uh Hawaii, you know, has that run and shoot offense. They came in averaging over 320 yards per game through the air. We figured they were going to throw it 45 times a game that they were going to take a few deep shots. I think I said to you, you know, yeah, if Oregon gives up 17 points because they gave up a few deep shots, I'll actually consider that a win because I think Hawaii is going to get their yardage. Well, Hawaii only passed for 142 yards. Yeah. Almost, I think almost half of that came in the fourth quarter when um, when 
that you know Oregon had called off the dogs by that point because uh, I think I think their passing yardage was in the 80s heading into the fourth quarter so that was just not a factor at all now Oregon's going to face much better quarterbacks uh, including this coming weekend uh, which will tell us a lot more mm. about whether the secondary really has improved significantly over last year but I I just don't think last year's secondary would have gotten out of that game just completely shutting down um, the Hawaii passing game the way that the way that this did. So I think I think that's a small reason for for some sort of optimism. On the reverse side, uh, you know, the big issue for Oregon coming out of the Texas Tech game was a 14 penalties, many of them just kind of brain bust type penalties. Well, they committed nine penalties against Hawaii, which is a little better, but not a lot better, especially against an inferior opponent. And Dan Lanning started his press conference saying how disappointed he was. It kept getting asked to him and he kept having to go back to how frustrated he was with the penalties. And, uh, and finally a, a reporter mentioned something about, um, you know, I know you don't want to talk about the penalties anymore or something about that. And then Lanning said, this was, this was the line that caught my attention more. And he said, well, we better not be talking about it next week. I'm not going to do the same thing again and again and expect a different result. So we're going to do something different. We're going to figure out if we can get it fixed. If we can't, they can't be on the field. If you're going to get penalties, you can't be on the field. It's going to be that simple. If you get a penalty, you can't play for us. You're hurting the team. So there's cl there was clearly this frustration mm -hmm. that came through where, and I, I, and I have a feeling it was some penalties more than others, right? Like some penalties in the heat of battle, you don't mind as much as um, the the total brain bust guy lining up in the wrong place or mm -hmm. the guy letting his emotions get the best of him and lashing out at another player. Uh, I think those are the ones where, where he was especially frustrated. And so this is, this is clearly a point, you know, to come out of a 45 point win and have the head coach start the press conference by just hammering this one thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that was of note. Yeah. And I mean, Mark, I, I wonder you just on a personal level, what are your thoughts about that kind of demeanor from your head coach? You know, because I I don't listen to all of Dan Lanning's press conferences. You know, I'm I'm a passive observer, but you know, there seemed like there were some rumblings before the season began about how Lanning seemed frustrated in talking with the media, that he had really limited access. Uh, it, I just get the sense that he doesn't seem to be having a lot of fun. Uh, am, am I wrong in that assessment? Well, I, I, yeah, I don't think media interviews are particularly his favorite thing. I think he has, he has more of a sense of humor than, than some people give him credit for, but I think it comes out in different ways. Like if you listen to his, his coaches show, with the two Oregon broadcasters, Jerry Allen and Mike Jorgensen, he is much more relaxed. He's much more open in answering questions. He's much more willing to crack a joke. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, before the Texas tech game, he, he made a crack about being more of a flower guy than a corn guy when it comes to tortillas, because they throw the tortillas on the field. Like, um, you know, he, he, I think, um, I think he is a, is a fun guy in his normal day-to-day -day life. Uh, and I think in general, when you hear him in a press conference, 
he is very even keel. He is very much like uh, if you ask him about virtually any player, he'll say, well, gosh, I thought he made some great plays. And I think there's some plays he'd like to have back. You know, that's kind of mm. his line, which is essentially like uh, I'm I'm proud of him. And also there's there's more to be done. There's more to be done. This was the first moment where really in any press conference where I've seen a hint of like um, I'm identifying something that cannot happen again. Mm-hmm. And I think that in his mind, he's looking down the road and he's like, for instance, um, right before the half, Hawaii had not scored the entire half and they line up for a field goal. They miss the field goal, but an Oregon defender had lined up offsides and so they got to reattempt the kick and they made the kick and it, and it ruined the shutout going into the half. And, and Lanning wasn't happy about that. He said it on mm-hmm. the, the video broadcast as he's going into the locker room. And I think um, he's looking down the road at this gauntlet of a schedule. And he has said as much after the Texas Tech game, which is like, at some point, we're going to face an opponent that doesn't let us off the hook if we make these kinds of mistakes. Right. So the things like lining up in the wrong place and giving a team an extra chance at a field goal, that could be really costly against Washington mm-hmm. or Utah. Um, having a guy lash out and get a personal foul penalty over on the sideline, that could be really costly against USC. So I think he's he's looking at these moments against the Portland States and the Hawaii's, and he's saying, let's, let's really go after this now. Mm. Let's really make this a teachable moment now a lot of teams are very teachable after they finally lose a game, right? But that, that, yeah. that, a lot of times that's when you see a team improve the most is after that first loss. I think what he's really trying to hone in on is after these blowout wins, when it seems like everything went well, mm-hmm. we're going to especially, especially hard on them um, just to try to keep them engaged and focused on, on kind of that, that, um, that bigger goal ahead of them. So I, th- I think that's the the take that he's got right now. And, you know, I mean, there have been so many coaches, both in the NFL and in college football, that they've done it their way. They have a certain style, certain personality, and it's worked for them. It's worked for their team. But do you think that kind of, you know, taking all of this frustration, uh, you know, public, does that help the – you know, the demeanor of the team, uh, you know, like if, if you're, if you're a player and you're thinking, if I make a mistake, I'm off the field, does that help you play your best? Or does that, you know, potentially cause you to be a little bit less free, a little bit less, you know, able to, to, to let it go and just let your ability take over? I think time will tell on that, right? Like we'll see in the Colorado game if this team looks sharper. Um, and and it'll be interesting to kind of gauge the sidelines interactions of him and his players. My understanding is is Lanning's players really, really love him and okay. would go the wall for him and that there's a real deep connection there. Multiple players have talked about how um accessible he is how you can go in and just kind of talk to him about things unrelated to football and how Mm -hmm. all you know all up and down the team guys feel that way about him feel an accessibility around him i think there's a reason uh there's a genuineness that comes through in his recruiting efforts where guys really feel like he's a guy that they want to play for so 
I think if you've built up that kind of capital with your players, I think you can use a little of it in a, and I, I think that, I think this may be a little calculated. It may be a little bit like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we're coming off of a 45 point win and I don't want them too comfortable. And I'm, I'm identifying this one thing. Right. I, we're going to tighten the screws on this. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. So I, hey, I mean, you know, they're, they're number 10 in the nation. They're undefeated. Uh, the offense is just as dynamic as it was last year. The defense looks like it's improved. Um, so, you know, very similar to everything we discussed with the Huskies, it's got to be all optimism for Duck fans out there. And uh, this Saturday, you know, you're you're going, you're taking, you know, hype you and pitting them up against the the king of hype himself, Coach Prime. Um, you know, like the ratings have got to be through the roof for this game on Saturday, right? Well, consider that their late night game against Colorado State uh, drew over nine million viewers, which is by far the most watched, you know, late night college football game ever. Those Pac-12 after dark games typically draw like a million and a half viewers, wow. and the college <laughs> nine million viewers. So yeah. this is a phenomenon, you know. I mean, this yeah. is this is something unlike anything we've seen that when when you know when they show a clip of Deion Sanders giving his post game talk in the locker room and Dwayne the Rock Johnson is just standing next to him <laughs> yeah like it's just kind of it's a different world and so uh it is funny i think that yeah this um Dion has very much built a brand for himself and now for his team and who are they drawing as they're kind of at their peak of their fame now heading into Pac-12 play, but they're drawing, I think, the school that has cultivated a brand as much as anything else, and uh, both heavily influenced by Nike. It'll be interesting if Phil Knight mm-hmm. has a rating interest here because there, there are relationships on both sides. I mean, sides. he's got to be loving it. I mean, come on. It's, yeah. like, it's like the Nike extravaganza. Yeah. I mean, it's a win-win for him. Well, and I think for the people that really love Dion, I think this is the game that they've been waiting for. I ran into a guy, Warren, in the Safeway parking lot. I'm walking through the parking lot with my Oregon sweatshirt on, and I hear a guy say something about, hey, how's your team looking? And I turn around, and it's a guy, and he's wearing a Chicago Bulls jersey, an Atlanta Braves jacket, and an Alabama Crimson Tide hat. And I come <laughs> to find out that he actually played cornerback at Eastern Washington in the Vernon Adams Cooper mm. Cup era. So it was on some good Eastern Washington teams yeah. and apparently is a fan of all of these other teams as well. But you know what? The thing that he wanted to talk about was, was Dion and when does Dion play Oregon? That's what he was most interested in. Mm. And I think for, yeah, for the people that have, that have been drawn into the Dion hype, why would you not want to see them? play the team that is constantly changing uniforms and doing all kinds of, you know, putting up billboards. And uh, I mean, it's like, they're a pair that was meant for each other in some yeah. ways. And, and so, yeah, yeah, I mean, no one thought that Colorado was going to come into this game three and Oh, except for Deion Sanders. And yet here they are, they're ranked in the top, uh, you know, 22 ranked number 19 in the nation. Uh, they've upset, uh, 17 ranked TCU 
They got business, took care of business uh, against Nebraska, uh, won a thriller in uh, overtime against in-state rival Colorado, who Colorado State, who really, I mean, you want to talk about Colorado State taking things personally. Those guys were, I mean, there was some kind of bounty gate going on in that in that game. And yet they've weathered the storm to get to this point against Oregon. And, you know, Mark, we we were talking about this a little bit off the air, but, uh, you know, Las Vegas has yet to pin down what to do with this Colorado Buffaloes team when it comes to serving up the odds. And Oregon's coming in as a 21-point favorite, which I get it. Like, I mean, they've got way more talent. They've got, you know, they're at home. They've got way more going for them. Maybe they do expose Colorado and, and you know, beat the pants off of them. But uh, thus far, every time, you know, someone's tried to prove Colorado to be a fraud uh, into the season – they have proven themselves to be the real deal. Well, I mean, yeah, yes and no. I think what's what's been interesting is is they've Vegas has been wrong on both sides of it with Colorado. They pick right. them by 21 against TCU and they win by three. They pick them to beat Colorado State by 21 and they barely force overtime. And so But I they, mean, you know, when you think about that, like that game, like if if Las Vegas had watched that game like beforehand, you know, like it, if they could have understood what Colorado State, you know, was going to put into that game, like what that game meant to yeah. Colorado State, I don't think that they would have put those odds on uh, on the game. Their, it was their Super Bowl. Yeah, it was it was their Super Bowl times ten. Yeah, I mean. Like those guys were willing to die on the field to win that game. Or willing to go. Night. <laughs> exactly. I mean, they were throwing their bodies around like there was no tomorrow. And and they were not only throwing their bodies around, they were throwing Colorado bodies like Travis Hunter, who's sadly out now for what a few weeks. Um, so you know, obviously, yeah, the the Las Vegas has not been able to pin that down, which to me leans into this question of you know with Oregon being a 21 point favorite uh does that you know does that ring does that feel accurate to you so I I asked a buddy of the, this question today because you've got Oregon this week and you've got USC next week at home if you're Colorado and I said would you be more surprised if I told you Colorado won one of those games or would you be more surprised if I told you Colorado lost both of those games by four touchdowns? And we settled, maybe you'll disagree with this, Warren, but we settled on losing both of those games by four touchdowns would be less surprising than them beating either Oregon or USC. Would you agree with that? In, in essence, like if I told you Colorado yeah. lost to Oregon 49 to 21 and then lost to USC 56 to 28. Would that? Yeah. Really are they playing, are they playing USC at, 
you know, in Los Angeles. That game's at home. It's it's in Boulder. Okay. So I I honestly would say that I would be less surprised if they ended up winning one of those two games, particularly against USC. Interesting. Because I think USC's defense is, you know, potentially an Achilles heel for them. And with, you know, Shadur Sanders and uh, what they've been able to do offensively, um, you know, and then being at home, I I could see that being a game where USC stumbles. Now, I wouldn't, I would have never said that at the beginning of the season, but based on what we've seen thus far, um, I could see that being the kind of game. Like, I mean, USC lost to Washington when they were down a couple of times because these, you know, these five star guys kind of just think that they can kind of waltz in and waltz out. And then, you know, like you said, for some team, this is their Super Bowl and they get caught uh, with their pants down. Uh, and Lincoln Riley, you know, fantastic coach, but I think that that those kind of things can happen when you've got that kind of a the way the way that that team is constructed. Um, I would, I would not predict a Colorado victory against Oregon in Autzen stadium. I think that would be foolish, but I'm not convinced that the ducks are going to win by 21 points, but if they do, I won't be like shocked at all. I think if you're, if you're talking yourself into Colorado, you're talking yourself into Shador Sanders is like a legit Heisman candidate that he's going to throw for 400 yards or something like that. And really like keep his team in the game and that the Colorado defense is probably going to give up a lot of yards and a lot of points, but they're going to, they're going to force a couple key turnovers. Maybe Dion Sun is going to have another pick six like he did last week that they're just, they're going to get a few timely plays from the defense and that they're going to win a, a shootout. That kind of feels like if they're, if they're, they're going to have any shot that's that's the way it's going to have to come is is they just kind of outscore someone yeah and and i'll just say this and and we can move on if you want to but after i watched week one of the colorado tcu matchup what i texted some of the guys on our thread was i said colorado has hit on every single key guy that they got over the offseason. They hit on Shadur Sanders. They hit on Travis Hunter. They hit hit on Dylan Edwards. And then they hit on uh, Shiloh Sanders. Like all four of those guys against TCU played uh, like they were all Americans. And the question that I had coming out of that game was, number one, can those guys sustain – that level of performance all year long. But really the more realistic question was what happens if any of those guys get hurt? Right. You know, because you've got Travis Hunter playing something like 140 plays in a game and yeah. he's, you know, on pace to have a thousand yards receiving and being all American cornerback at the same time. And it's not about talent. The talent's obvious, but the human body can only sustain so much. And of course he get, he got taken out in a cheap way 
but the likelihood of someone like that being able to make it through a whole season putting out that kind of effort seems pretty unfathomable so you know out of that fearsome foursome one of those guys is already out for oregon it's basically two of those guys because he plays two positions so well yeah but i mean you know shadur dylan shiloh and travis so travis is kind of like four and five uh if you will but but yeah to your point he's out now so you know if one of those other guys gets hurt there's not they just don't have the the depth to to recover from that so i i mean I'm, i'm picking the ducks to win this game uh on saturday and honestly i hope they win this game to i think you know assuming the huskies take care of business with with cal and with arizona you know let's go into that big rivalry game with both teams undefeated you know that would be i think my my preference at this point but uh certainly we've learned at this point do not count out Deion sanders and what he can do yeah i certainly wouldn't want to count him out i think the one thing i will offer and then we can move on to your washington cal game uh you mentioned several skill players. You didn't mention any offensive linemen. You didn't mention any no. defensive linemen. And if, I think if Oregon turns this game into a route, it will be because there's a significant advantage at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. And uh, Cal or Colorado has shown a real weakness stopping the run on defense. And on offense, Colorado has really struggled to predict protect Shador Sanders. I think they've given up at least four sacks in every game. They're one of the worst teams in the country in giving up sacks. And that's something that Oregon has made a real commitment to this year. We saw Mm -hmm. them against Texas Tech. They really got after Tyler Shuck. I imagine they're really going to get after Shador Sanders. They're going to be coming at him from all angles and chasing him around the field. And I think the other thing that just has to be mentioned is that Colorado is playing for the fourth straight week in a game under an immense spotlight. Mm -hmm. They were the big noon kickoff three weeks in a row. Uh, You had um, ESPN game day was in town. 60 Mm -hmm. minutes was in town. (laughs) Like they're just getting it from all angles. And now they have this huge game at Autzen with a huge game against USC, USC looming. And that is such a different emotional cost for these 18 to 22 year old guys that haven't really been used to that if you think about what life has been like say for oregon where they had portland state and they had hawaii like they had to really get up to go to texas tech but they've been able to kind of power down a little bit Mm -hmm. they're working and now they're firing back up can colorado really play at that maximum intensity level for four weeks five weeks in a row without having a, a noticeable drop that would that would really really surprise me if they were to kind of keep that level of intensity going i know dion can do it because mm-hmm. Dion prime time he you know he's a guy that'll play in a major league baseball game and an nfl game in the same day you know <laughs> he's played yeah. the world series in the super bowl like he's not gonna back down from the spotlight i'm just not sure that all of his players are are quite uh built for that at this point well, like you said, uh, he's used to the prime time. He's used to the you know, performing and, and getting up for every game. 
And uh, certainly this is going to be a game on Saturday for the Huskies where they're facing a Cal team that uh, should not really pose a serious threat to their season. But on closer inspection, this Cal team has been a constant uh, thorn in the side for the Huskies over the last several years, really during the Justin Wilcox era. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Tony Castricone. He posted a, a tweet earlier uh, this week where he shared that uh, UW and Cal have uh, the last four games have had each of those games decided by a touchdown or less. And the dogs have failed to score more than 28 points in regulation over the past four years against Justin Wilcox last year was on the road. Uh, that was a game in which uh, the, the, the bears really did a phenomenal job uh, dropping back, forcing Penix to take the short completions. They were able to stretch out or shorten the game, you know, stretch out the, the drives and, uh, you know, it, it came down to a Richard Newton touchdown reception at the end of the fourth quarter to really iron that thing out. But to be fair, the previous two games, you had a Jake Browning that was really struggling at that particular moment. Dylan Morris led uh, John Don offense. So not totally surprising that the the scoring totals have been so low, uh, but this Saturday should be different. We're at home. We've got Michael Penix Jr., Roma Dunze, Jalen Polk, Jeremy Bernard, Jack Westover, Jalen McMillan. Uh, I I anticipate the dogs will put up over 40 points, and it's not going to be particularly close. I'm I'm in agreement with you. I. I, I'm not really concerned um, about this game if I'm Washington. I know Washington fans have some understandable baggage when it comes to Cal. Uh, I think the one thing of note for Cal, I was just looking this up, is it does look like their star running back, Jaden Ott, is expected to return to the lineup. You know, he went down mm -hmm. in the uh, Auburn game, second half of the Auburn game. He did not play last week against Utah when they fell behind. <laughs> 17 yeah. to nothing to start the game against the Vandals. Uh, but he's Idaho, back. yeah. Uh, J and Jaden Ott is like a real player, you know? Yeah. He's one of the best running backs in the conference. Yeah. He um, and Martinez, I, I would say, are the two best running backs. And then Bucky Irving as well. Yeah, I think that's fair uh, for those those three at the top. Cal, Cal doesn't necessarily have a, a consistent passing game. They've got two mm -hmm. different backs neither of which have been overwhelming um but like if if you're trying to create a recipe for cal to keep this game competitive it's a heavy dose of of Jaden not so mm -hmm. him being uh healthy and ready to go is gives them their best chance uh i just don't i don't think it's going to be anywhere near enough uh i think i think the huskies are going to score early and score often and and it's going to break this streak of incredibly close games between these two teams yeah and you know we mentioned uh some of the injuries that uh, had cropped up last week uh but this husky defense i think should be pretty primed 
to play against this Cal offense. Uh, Tule Latula Gasanoa is really playing at a high level in that defensive uh, tackle position. Uh, Ulamu Ale, who converted from offensive guard to defensive tackle, is really getting after it and playing free. And then we're getting back Fatui Tuitele. Um, Cam Fab should be back. Um, Mish Powell is is playing well. He's a great tackler uh, from that you know husky position. Dominique Will uh, Dominic Will Dominic Hampton is uh, you know a, a bigger safety that can really come up and crash on the run. And then you know Edifuon Ulafosio is healthy and playing really really good right now. So. Uh, whereas last year, particularly, you know, thinking about like that Oregon game where Oregon just kind of kept running right up the middle. Um, this team looks a lot stronger in the middle right now than they did at that time. Uh, so I don't think Cal's got the create the, the offensive creativity or the offensive uh, power to be able to, really do what they need to do to accomplish that game plan that you mentioned, but you know, stranger things have happened, but uh, when you look at it on paper, it, it seems like the Huskies are stacked up ready for this. Like I said, I do believe that they have not yet been tested against a really quality passing attack. Right. Um, but Cal's not that quality passing attack. So we won't, we won't learn anything about that until, like I said, maybe Arizona or most likely against Oregon. Yeah, I think, I think that's an accurate assessment. And I think if you're a Washington fan, it's a good week to just kind of watch the carnage unfold. You've got the, yeah. these three other games involving ranked teams so um, whether it's whether it's Oregon getting a scare from Colorado or or them running Colorado out of the stadium, you can enjoy it either way. You can enjoy it either way with the Cougars and the Beavers. Like you know, you just take that in, and then at the end of the night, seven thirty, the Huskies kick off, and hopefully by about seven fifty-five, you're feeling pretty comfortable about the direction that game's headed in. Yep, and I'm going to be at the game on Saturday, so. Looking forward to the first game I get to be at in person this season. Uh, the first, last, or the last first opener of uh, of the season in Pac-12 history. And uh, it's fitting. Uh, Washington and Cal are the two teams who have uh, been in the Pac for the, the longest consistent amount of time. Oh, interesting. So... Uh, kind of a, a great historical footnote there. Uh, but uh, just, uh, you know, great start to the Pac-12 season all along. Mark, are there any other, you know, games of note, whether outside of the Pac-12, uh, that you're looking forward to heading into this weekend? Warren, this is the probably the best weekend of the year in terms of college football. We've mentioned the three heavy hitters in the Pac-12 You've also got a top 10 matchup between Ohio State and Notre Dame, in which for the first time in a long time, Notre Dame is the team with the better quarterback. I mean, probably you'd have to go back to 
the Brady Quinn era to find a Notre Dame team in a game of this magnitude where you felt like they were the team with the best quarterback. So they've got a real team this year. Uh, and then you've got a couple games, Ole Miss uh, at Alabama and Florida State at Clemson, where two established powers in Clemson and Alabama that are their playoff hopes are on life support already. They've already taken a loss in September. They haven't looked particularly impressive in their wins. And now they've got really good teams coming into their stadium to try to, you know, deal the knockout blow in, in a conference opener, which is just an interesting place to be in. I wouldn't be surprised if either Clemson or Alabama figures out a way to kind of pull pull it together. Like those are two proud programs with really successful coaches um, that have have faced bigger odds than this. Uh, but it is interesting to have have it be this point in the season and think, gosh, I don't know that Clemson or Alabama is going to make it out of September with just one loss. So uh, there's just, I mean, it's wall to wall action on on Saturday from from all corners of the country. You know, it would be a real shame if Alabama and Clemson didn't make it into the college football playoffs. I would just just be really saddened by that. Well, I mean, think about this. You know, Warren, I said this at the beginning of the year that the the door was open for a Pac-12 team this year because yeah. all of these quarterbacks, because you had Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, and Ohio State all breaking in new quarterbacks – We've already seen Alabama and Clemson lose. I think both of them are either favored or or pretty much even odds, favored to lose or facing even odds this weekend. And you've got, like I said, Ohio State in a game against Notre Dame that feels like it could be a very tough challenge mm -hmm. for the Buckeyes. So already, and and Georgia was trailing by by eleven points in their in their conference opener against South Carolina last week at the half. So we're already seeing evidence that these established powers don't have quite the same stranglehold on things that we're used to. And so maybe it's a PAC 12 team. Maybe it's a team like Michigan or Penn state or Florida mm -hmm. state that, that takes advantage, but, but the door is open for, for somebody yeah. else. Well, let's see if the PAC 12 can, take advantage of this opportunity and go out in a blaze of glory. So we'll wrap things up with that, Mark, uh, as we wrap it up, uh, any final thoughts? I just gave you my final thoughts. Okay. All right. Good, good. Well, Hey, for all of my dog fans out there, love this moment. It is good as it's going to get. Let's keep the purple blaze going and uh we'll see you guys next time with go dogs and for all my duck fans go ducks all right we'll catch you guys next time <laughs>